0: Good morning and welcome to AC23, the podcast of the Arts Council of Greater Baton Rouge, whose mission is to promote cultural growth, economic development, and educational enhancements through the arts in and around the 11 parish region we serve. I'm your host, Pam Bordelon, and joining me this morning is Kevin Kuig, a retired businessman, recovering politician, and author. Good morning, Kevin.
1: Hey, good morning, Pam. How are you?
0: I'm good. Thanks for joining us. So you are the former parish president for West Feliciana. So how did you get from politician to author?
1: Well, actually, both of those were sort of steps I took in my retirement plan where, you know, I'd spent 30 or 40 years running a company called Source Capital in Baton Rouge. We invested in over 100 companies. We had a lot of success and Helped a lot of entrepreneurs get going, and so uh, that's not the kind of business where you can walk in one day and throw the keys on somebody's desk and say I'm retiring. <laughs> you have to, so you you kind of have to have a plan. And my plan was that as I sold off portfolio companies and created more time for myself, I would try to do something for the community, um, and that was what sort of motivated me to get involved in politics and. Uh, stayed involved as parish, the first parish president in West Feliciana for five years. And then as I was coming to the conclusion of that phase of my career, I realized, you know, you need to do something that keeps your brain active as well as keeping you physically active. So I've always been kind of a good storyteller and uh, a fair writer. So I decided that I would uh, try my hand at writing a novel.
0: Okay, so when did you kind of, uh, have you always been interested in writing? Is that something that you've always been interested in doing?
1: I've always written, you know, various and sundry things, uh, you know, from uh, jokes uh, for politicians. When I was in my 20s, I, I would write jokes that they could use, and, you know, I wrote business plans, and um, I wrote a lot of things for promotion and so forth, and, you know, occasionally I would write poetry. uh um, that uh, you know people seem to like. So, yeah, I've always been sort of a writer, but I, I always thought that it would take a lot of time to write a novel. And but it was always an ambition of mine to write at least one novel. And now that I've written one, I've come to realize how much I love it. Wish I had started writing earlier in my life, but uh, I'm already working on my second.
0: Okay, so tell us about your first book. It is called A Man for Others. So, kind of,
1: right. yeah. Man for others is um, is uh, attributed to Saint Ignatius Loyola, the founder of the Jesuit order, and it's a principle that a lot of uh, young men over the years and young women now have learned as part of their, you know, their Jesuit education. Uh, I went to Georgetown, which is a Jesuit school, and the Jesuits have had a fair amount of influence on me. Uh, but that, that sort of stuck with me that uh, part of what a person's supposed to do with, with a life well lived is to spend some time being a man for others, a person who works towards other people's, you know, happiness or better life or whatever. And so that's that's where the title comes from. The, the story had been rattling around in my head for four or five years, maybe longer, um, and which is probably why I was able to uh, come up with a what I think a lot of people considered a very multi-layered sort of novel that uh, talks about a number of different themes and, and melds them together in a pretty cogent way.
0: Okay, so tell us a little bit about, about what that theme is. I mean, I, I believe it, it deals with the uh, issue of sexual abuse in the Catholic Church.
1: Well, that's a minor, that's a minor theme, but okay. it's really not the major theme in the, uh, in the book. It's, it deals with, um, a young man's life who comes out of Ireland in in the seventies when they were going through the troubles and, you know, his family was involved and, and it caught him up in it and it created really a terrible sort of event that happened in his life and set the stage for the rest of his life. And, uh, so he leaves Ireland and comes to the United States. He's in school in Boston, studying music, and and there he uh, stumbles upon a uh, young man being abused by a priest, and takes some action that really begins a, a lifetime of secrets and and uh, mystery and uh, drama. It sort of blocks him from ha- his his ambition in that regard. Blocks him from having a normal life. Uh, and so he, he ends up in New Orleans and working in the music industry and uh, and continues to uh, to do the things that he began in Boston and ultimately the book ends with uh, him on trial for his life in uh, New Orleans but it's post post Katrina the trial gets shifted to my hometown of St Francisville where he goes on trial. There's a there's a, a very haunting subplot. Um, that's brought to the fore in the novel through the use of a narrator, and you just don't ever know who the narrator is until the very end of the novel, and that's when the two plots come together and and are resolved in a um, in a way that I think is, you know, very interesting and satisfying.
0: Okay, well, I'm I'm definitely intrigued.
1: <laughs> so I think most people most people that have read the novel. Um, recognize that uh it's a pretty good story and it's got some very interesting characters Mm -hmm. which by the way is one of the things that i learned as a as a first time novelist that you create these characters to move a plot along and then the characters seem to take on a life of their own and they bring your story in directions that you're you really didn't set out for but uh find uh, interesting yourself so you keep going so it's been it was a really good experience and it's uh you know, I finished the first, and, and now I'm working on the second, and uh, having the same sort of experience.
0: So, tell us, so you're in North Carolina now, so right. is, is that, mm-hmm.
1: are you, did
0: you move, or is this just your writing getaway, or
1: do you? No, we, we, we spend half, we're spending half the year in St. Francisville, and half the year in North Carolina now. Okay. This is our second year in North Carolina for the summer, and. From what everybody tells me about the weather in St. Francisville, we couldn't couldn't have picked a better <laughs> summer saying, to be gone. You
0: so. picked a good summer to not be here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
0: So tell us a little bit about your second novel that you're working on. Well,
1: it's it's a little bit more of a straightforward mystery. Um, it's um, it, a lot of people ask me that have read the first. Am, am I going to make it a series? And the answer to that is. The, the basic theme of the first book does not get continued, but one or two, three of the characters do. It's set in New Orleans. Um, it's The title, the working title is, If One of Them is Dead, which stems from a sign that used to hang in Carlos Marcello's office, head of the... Editor. Purported head of the mafia in Louisiana was Carlos Marcello, and he had a sign hanging in his office that said, two people can keep a secret if one of them is dead. So that's the, the title of the second book, okay. and it starts with the protagonist in the hospital with a bullet through her head, but she survives.
0: Okay, well, you've you got me, re- I'm ready for that one too. So when do we, when do you think that, when can we be looking for book number two?
1: well i would I would like to say uh this winter, but it may may be more likely next fall what i what I have found is that I'm pretty disciplined. I usually can write a thousand words a day, but I can't write five days a week like a lot of authors do so i I spend a lot of time working on uh mentally preparing backstories for characters and so forth, and I write you know two or three days a week and The last novel was about 100,000 words. This one will be roughly, maybe a little bit shorter, but roughly the same. So, you know, you have to write it, and then you have to rewrite it, and then you have to rewrite it again, and then you get your editor involved, and they make you rewrite other parts. So it takes quite a bit of time, but it's a very enjoyable process to me. I, I love doing it, and, you know, I have the perfect environment in which to write, so... Both in St. Francisville and here, I have a place that's uh, you know, very conducive to sitting and, and thinking and writing and and yeah. I enjoy the process.
0: So you you have got a lot both of your books tend to be set at some point in New Orleans. Do you find that a, a fodder for settings and and storytelling?
1: Well the first book has a number of settings. It starts in Ireland in a little town called Bell Turbot, and the first Roughly quarter of the book is set in Ireland. The second is set in in uh, Boston, um, and then the the protagonist moves to Mobile briefly and then into New Orleans. So the second half is mostly in New Orleans and uh, a little bit in St. Francisville where the trial takes place. Um, my my um, my second book will be primarily in New Orleans, although, there's a couple of, uh, couple of scenes that will take place in Portugal and, uh, and some other places around the world. So, you know, I, 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 think, I think one of the things that makes a novel interesting is when you bring characters in and, and locations in that people aren't completely familiar with. Uh, and so that's part of what I'm trying to do in the second novel as well.
0: Okay, so have you have you been to Ireland? Have you been to? Is Cooig an Irish name?
1: Cooig yeah, is an Irish name. My family is from Ireland. My grandparents were both Irish on uh, my father's side. Um, we uh, we are very Irish, um, <laughs> and uh, my brother um, uh, my brothers tease me that he says I'm a professional Irishman. But I had a company that had a, a headquarters uh, for Europe in Ireland, so I spent lots and lots of time there and, and um almost almost lived there for about a year going back and forth but spending most of my time there. So um I love Ireland. I love uh I love Louisiana and I love North Carolina now. It's a really beautiful place as well. So you know, I think uh, my my stories will be set where the stories need to be for the interest of the reader to continue. So That's kind of the way I look at
0: it. Okay. So, um, you mentioned that you went to Georgetown. So, did you grow up here in Baton Rouge or?
1: Actually, um, no. I I was born in New Orleans and my family moved to Asphodel Plantation out in the Felicianas when I was about eight. And so, I grew up from eight years old through high school. I graduated in St. Francisville and left and went to Georgetown for four years. And when I came back, I I moved to Baton Rouge. And I basically spent the next 30-something years in Baton Rouge until my kids, I have three boys, um, and they were all, you know, reared in Baton Rouge. And so when they started going off and, you know, creating their own lives, I decided that I was a country boy at heart, and I moved back to St. Francisville.
0: Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what drove, where did you get the politics bug? Where'd that come from?
1: Well, my family's always been involved in politics. And I used to actually, when I first came back from Georgetown, I ran political campaigns for about, I don't know, 10, 15 people. Uh, It was an interest of mine. It's something I've always done. And I've always been involved in the community and, you know, working for you know the chamber and the you know tourism board and all that. And my 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 foray into politics in St. Francisville really stemmed from my older brother who was on the. They created a new plan of government here. We adopted a, uh, a new home rule charter. I was over in Ireland and my my oldest son Peter called me one day. He says, Dad, I hear you're running for parish president. <laughs> And I said, "What?" And he says, "Yeah, it's all over town. You're running for parish president." I said, "Well, where did you hear that?" He says, "Your brother Sam's telling everybody." So, <laughs> <laughs> and then my brother Sam called me and said, "Hey, you're going to run for parish president?" I said, "Well, frankly, Sam, hadn't thought about it. Why should I do that?" And he said, "Well, this new home rule charter is going to create a lot of, you know, animosity at the beginning because they always do. You know, you adopt." You go away from a from the old uh, police jury system to a home rule charter, and there's always a lot of controversy, yeah. um, and everybody here thinks you're the only one with thick enough skin to put up with it, so <laughs> so they talked they talk me into it, and I, I really enjoyed the process. I went out, and I knocked on every door that I could find in West Feliciana Parish, and I, I won pretty handily. Um and then, true to my brother Sam's word, there was massive controversy every time we tried to do something differently than had been done under the police jury system for about two or three years. And then I had to run for re-election after two years because because the um the home rule charter had a presidential election halfway through the term of the police jurors. So I got two years working with a police jury that was now a parish. Council. So all of the people that had had executive authority for two years lost it on the day I got elected. Oh. So naturally, I wasn't very popular with them. <laughs> uh, but after two years, uh, uh, the Home Rule Charter survived, things settled down, I ran for re-election, I won again, yep. you know, fairly handily. And then I did it for another two or three years. And I, you know, I never was never saw myself as a politician. I was a good executive, and I did some things that were worthwhile for the parish in terms of its economics and, and so forth. And then I said, you know, I've had enough fun, and I, <laughs> I, I retired a year old. Because I really believe that politicians shouldn't be politicians. They should be public servants. They should go in, and they should leave. Yeah. And they should never think of themselves as entitled to a position or, you know, even important. There's always somebody out there that can do as good or a better job than you're doing. And I wish more of our elected officials would believe that.
0: Yes, that would be kind of nice, wouldn't it? And we yeah. we all know how everybody loves change. So I can imagine that was a tough <laughs> road to hoe.
1: <laughs> you, you know, it's funny. I got I got to my desk, which had they'd never had a parish president, so they had to find an office for me. And uh, there was somebody had left um, uh, a little sticky on my computer, and it says. Just remember, everyone wants progress, but nobody wants change. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I like and, that. And
1: was yeah, it was a good. I, I think I still have that in my desk.
0: Somewhere, so. so when you're not yeah. writing and you're not politicking, what 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 else does Kevin well, my, like to my, do? My
1: wife, my wife Claire, is a big tennis player, and I play a little bit of pickleball. So we we play uh, we play pickleball, and uh, we travel a lot. We went to you know Europe this summer we go back and forth about two or three times a year to Europe we um my brother rob owns and my owns a uh, football team a soccer team in England and and my oldest son peter is the chief financial officer and so we're big supporters we go over there and watch that and so we go to England we go travel and we go you know around around the world and now that the covid worries are pretty much over we were able to travel a lot so okay. you know that's uh that's our lives and it's a it's a good life we've been very i've been very successful i've had a lot of people help me along the way and you know we try to do things for the community and uh but we're enjoying life as well okay. my three boys are all older yeah my uh, my eldest as i mentioned is involved in english football and some other things and then my youngest son is He's a, a cannabis grower in Washington State, so okay. that's another interesting business. <laughs> and, and then my middle son lives in St. Francisville.
0: Okay, so are you? Have any of them blessed you with grandchildren yet?
1: I have. Yeah, I have four grandchildren. I have. My eldest granddaughter graduated from Ole Miss this year. Oh wow! She got every academic award there is to get. Um, <laughs> She's sitting for the LSATs, and I assume she's going to go, I hope she goes to Europe and studies for a year, but she may just go straight to law school, depending on how that goes. And then I have a grandson who's uh, five now, and he was up here in North Carolina visiting with us last week with his mom and dad. So, you know, we're blessed with great-grandchildren. Claire, my wife, has two boys as well. Uh, One is an Air Force Academy graduate, and he flies... uh, drones for the u.s air force and her other son is lives near us and he lives in greenville which is about an hour from our house and so we get to visit with him quite a bit so we mm-hmm. have a lot of family and we spend a lot of time with them so okay. life is good is the sounds like stickers it sounds say. like yeah. it
0: so yeah. how can we find your books if we want to read um right now we can read a man for others and then we can be looking forward to your next novel so how do we find these books
1: yeah, Man for Others is available on Amazon. Um, and it's available through bookbabypublishing.com. Uh so either one of those you can get either the the paperback version or the a Kindle version. I'm one of my one of my projects right now is that I'm personally doing an audible version. Okay. I was uh, I was a chairman of a company called Presonus which made Stereo uh, uh, music equipment like speakers and mixers and microphones and all that software and gear. You're actually on PreSonus right
0: now. We're actually using PreSonus equipment right now.
1: I bet you are. It's good stuff. We actually sold that company uh, about a year and a half ago to Fender Guitar, and very happy with that because most of the people that are there are very thrilled with their. With their uh, continuing career in the music business, and Fender is a great company. So that worked out well for everybody. But I decided that, you know, I read, one one of the things I'm pretty focused on is studying what works and what doesn't. Mm -hmm. I was in the venture business for years, and so I'm used to trying to make sure that you ask all the appropriate questions and get the right answers before you so I, I studied uh, how do you do these audible books, and I'm learning uh, I'm learning that, and I'm beginning the process of uh, creating uh, you know my own uh, my own uh, audible version of a man for others, and I'll do the same when 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 one of them is dead is finished. So okay. it's, you know another project to keep you busy. yeah, uh, Claire plays a lot of tennis, and so. She'll go off in the morning and and play for two or three hours, and that's really the best time for me to work. Okay. And, you know, I built a little small uh, voiceover recording studio in uh, a sub-basement here, so I can do my voiceover work here as well.
0: Okay. Well, Kevin, thanks so much for joining us this morning. I greatly appreciate it. It was fun chatting with you and catching up.
1: Well, thank you, Pam. I'm going to be at the Louisiana Book Festival in October, so I'd invite people to come out and, and meet and we can talk about the book and I can sign copies there as well. So, Sounds- But I appreciate you guys putting me on the air. You know, I told people that becoming an author at, you know, 70 plus is a lot like trying to start a rock band at 70 plus. People don't see a long term <laughs> future. They're not really that anxious to, to, to work with you. But I've had a lot of people that have helped me along the way and I'm really grateful to them, including to you. Mm-hmm.
0: Well you're quite welcome and we're can't we're looking forward to uh, seeing get taking a read at your next book and we thank you all so much for joining us this morning on AC23 you can catch replays on Amazon Music Apple Podcasts and Spotify support for the programming comes from Shell our generous donors and members to help us continue programming like this please consider joining the Arts Council or becoming a donor information can be found on our website artsbr.org that's A-R-T-S B-R dot org